Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the extended Eagle family as well. We've had more and more folks joining week after week, kind of the community of Eagles spreading out, I think, uh, beyond the state of Indiana, across the nation. So welcome to everyone. Eagle family, miss you so much. Uh, look forward to when we can be back together. I'll say a couple words about that in a minute. But if you're joining us and you're not in the Indianapolis area, would you just jump on the chat right now and just tell us where you're at? And let our online hosts welcome you, because we want you to know we care about you. You matter to us. We want to be praying for you. Of course, you and the Eagle family, please as well. Let us know how we can be praying for you and supporting and helping during these days, but especially even those of you in the broader community, uh, we want to say welcome and good morning. Well, in light of Friday, Governor Holcomb releasing some new guidelines um, for our state to continue to move to a more opening and kind of releasing some of the social distancing guidelines and such. So we want, I just want to say a couple words about this. Um, I just want to ask for your patience, and I want you to know that we're, our, com we're, our commitment is to be prayerful and thoughtful about how we go about the next phase of this ministry. And we want you to know uh, we'll need some time to meet together as leadership team and just kind of put our heads together. We're also networking with some other churches. So I want you to be aware, and this is how you can be praying. I was on the phone this week with uh, several lead pastors, and we're just trying to collaboratively and cooperatively work well together across our city. So I was talking with Aaron Brockett at Traders Point this week, Mark Vrogop at College Park, Steve Poe at Northview, and Rob, John, Rob across the street here at New Hope, and other pastors. We're just we're talking, we're networking. I was, uh, I was texting with John Dickinson at uh, Connection Point as well. And so we're just trying to band together and be wise and thoughtful and prayerful about how we best serve our community and our congregations during the next phase and support Governor Holcomb and the community leaders. So just want to let you know, please be patient and we will be in touch I promise you, Eagle family, you'll be the first to know as soon as we have some clarity about what are some of our next steps. And you can be praying for us as leadership teams and all these churches. And I'll actually be on the phone this afternoon with some more lead pastors in the Zionsville area specific. And uh, we just want to, we just feel like there's, there's an opportunity here for congregations to come together and sync up well with how we serve during these days ahead. So you're with us in that. Uh, appreciate your prayers and support and look forward to uh, the next uh, phase together. And in that stream, like Justin demonstrated earlier with the video from Danny Marquez, I want to give a shout out to two Eagle families right now. So here's a picture of the Lampin family. So this is the Lampin family this week serving some meals, putting some hot food together to help Danny uh, Marquez and the City Life folks on the west side. So how cool is that? Way to go, Lampin crew. We love you. We appreciate you serving and helping in that way. And I want to give a shout out to Peggy Lamott. So here's a picture of Peggy Lamott's brother. Peggy Lamott's brother is Dr. Gene Harker. He's chief anesthesiologist at Veterans Hospital here in Indy. And Peggy learned through Gene that they were so short of masks for them to do their medical work that they were using a toaster oven to kind of trying to sterilize their masks hour to hour, day to day. And so I wanted you to know, so here's a picture of Gene and receiving the first of three boxes of masks, 2,400 of them we were able to send to Veterans Hospital this week. So thank you, Eagle family, for being a part of that. Thank you to the Extended Church Network. You remember we had about 15 churches or so. 
We all banded together and we bought 200,000 masks to help situations like what Dr. Harker and others are experiencing. To date, we've distributed 130,000 of those masks. So such a great picture, right? I know the conversation is about when is a such and such business going to open? You remember what I told you on Easter that Jesus' church and Jesus' kingdom has been open, gang, right? I know that our gatherings at some point will need to reopen, but make no mistake about it. The church of Jesus is not defined by the gathering. The church is about the people of Jesus serving in the mission of Jesus all out and around our city and around the world. And these are two great examples of that. So those of you in the medical community, right, doctors, nurses, other healthcare workers, if you're in a setting where the mask supply is low and you need some help, would you just jump on the chat now and send a, a note that way? Or you can send an email to help at eaglechurch.com and let us know because we'll try to deploy uh, the masks that are available. Like I say, we've got about 70,000 or so more to distribute out to areas of need, as well as if you're in a place where you just need help. If you're in a place listening this morning and you need food, you need some help going through what you're going through, that's the email, help at eaglechurch.com. We want to be the place that gives help and a place where you can get help. And if you want to join us this week on helping with some food supplies and that, that's where you can jump in and volunteer for that. So thanks, Eagle family, for being such hands and feet of Jesus, the church of Jesus. Eagle has never been more open than the past couple of months. Amen. And there will be a day when we can regather to kind of celebrate some of that as well. All right, everybody open up their Bibles, Matthew 26, Matthew chapter 26, to get us into the message I entitled this morning's message, Adjusting to a New Reality. Anybody feeling that these days? Adjusting to a new reality. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite writers, he wrote these words, what do we do during those times when we're too tired to read the Gospels? too restless to have spiritual thoughts, too depressed to find words for God, or too exhausted to do anything. When I read that quote this week, I thought, Henry, did you write that for COVID-19 quarantine season? That's, that's a quote for the quarantine wall right there. So he asked the question, what do you do when you're just too tired, too exhausted to read, to pray, to, to push into the things you know God's calling you to push into? The response to that is, we go on a seven-mile walk together from Jerusalem to Emmaus. That's what we do. We get really skilled at adopting and learning the language of holy uncertainty. We, we develop the vocabulary of, I don't know, and that's okay. And we lay down our maps and we lean into our resurrected guide. And as we do so, we're invited in to this paschal mystery of Jesus. Remember the word paschal from last week comes from the Hebrew word that refers to Passover. And it refers to these five movements of Jesus' life. And it's coming up here on the screen for you. So when you think of the paschal mystery of Jesus, you've got crucifixion, resurrection, the 40 days, ascension, and Pentecost. And here's what we do as we go on this seven-mile journey to Emmaus. And gang, I don't know how many miles in we are. Uh, we continue to pray for Governor Holcomb, pray for our leaders. We continue to pray that way because give them wisdom as we continue to support and serve and be a light for Jesus. However many miles in we are, here's what we're going to do. Like Cleopas and the disciple on the Emmaus road, Jesus joined them. And he joins us in this journey. 
And I think this, this five-stage Paschal mystery is a way we can discern how is Jesus coming to us because his way becomes our way. His experience becomes our experience. So last week, we spent some time talking about crucifixion naming our deaths and resurrection claiming our births. And this past Wednesday night, we spent some time processing and praying in and giving some space into that. So if you missed last Sunday or this past Wednesday night, can I encourage you, take some time this week, go back and listen to those, and it'll help you as we step in, because we're at now the third stage of this. We're into the 40 days, which this stage is about grieving our losses and adjusting to our new reality, which will then bring us to the ascension, which is the stage of refusing to clutch and to grasp. It's the releasing of control, loosening our grip. Letting things ascend so we can get to Pentecost where we receive the spirit that's in step with the life we're actually living. So today, church, we're in the 40 days, which actually church calendar-wise, this is where we are. This is called the Paschal season of the church calendar. This is a Paschal Sunday, and this is the 40 days from the time Jesus rose from the dead before he ascended into heaven. This is actually the space. And I think it's perhaps the most poignant in light of what we're all experiencing culturally together. And the focus of this 40-day stage, it's also called Paschal Tide or Easter Tide. And the focus of this is there's this grieving, grieving our endings, Grieving our losses. The Bible word is lament. Some sociologists say that North Americans are the least prepared and least qualified to grieve and lament. Not super encouraging, I know, but sobering. I think you would agree with me. As a society, North America, we're not especially skilled at learning how to grieve loss well, which is critical to being able to adjust to a new reality. So this morning, what I want us to do, we're going to look at four, kind of four steps of Jesus at a time of him grieving some losses and adjusting to a new reality, kind of putting our feet where Jesus put his in Matthew 26, I think will give us wisdom to us in our own particular 40-day journey itself. And listen, some of you listening right now, the grief or the loss can be, it can be large-scale grief and loss. Some of you have You've lost a child, you've lost a parent, you've lost a sibling far too early in life. And that level of trauma and grief strikes really, really deep. Others of you have had some trauma inflicted upon you by someone else and the level of grief that that's bringing up. And then, so there's this large-scale grief and then there's the everyday life grief. Because listen, grieving our loss, endings is not like a paschal thing. Endings and grief and loss is a human thing. If you're not in the middle of an ending right now, just keep living. And we've been thrust into kind of culturally all kinds of endings, right? There's the loss of control. There's the, there's the loss of what used to be. There's a loss of relationship. There's a loss of job, loss of financial stability, loss of health, loss of answers to questions, loss of certainty. There's all kinds of loss just living everyday life. So whether you're a young person, a student, or someone who's lived some more life, here's a shared human thing. We're all going to encounter loss and endings, hence the Paschal mystery of Jesus, hence this journey to the Garden of Gethsemane today. And let's look at how Jesus handled this, and it'll give us some insight on then 
how we can as well. So Matthew 26, verse 36, Jesus went with His disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Now, in your Bibles, if you have your Bible open there, you may want to jot beside it. The word Gethsemane, it comes from two Hebrew words that have to do with the way they crushed the olives and pressed them between two slabs of granite to squeeze the oil out. Will you see any significance there? Like literally Jesus entering the garden whose life is going to be pressed under the weight of the sin of the world and what's going to be squeezed out of Jesus, his blood, literally sweating drops of blood here in the garden, shedding his blood on the cross for the salvation of the world. This is Gethsemane. So when you feel like you hit a place in life, some of you today right now are tuning in and you're square in the middle of Gethsemane. You feel like your life is wedged between two slabs of granite and you're being pressed and formed and shaped and there's some stuff being squeezed out of you, this Gethsemane. And let's watch now what happens with Jesus here. He says to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 37, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. And he began to be, underline your Bible, sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now I had the privilege June 2017 to go to Israel to put my feet where Jesus put his and all this physical geography places in the Bible. It was an amazing trip. It was, I mean, first time I'd ever been to Israel. Hope it's not my last. If you've never been there, highly recommend it. For me, if I had to point to one experience in my 10 days that was the most kind of emotionally moving for me was when we went to the Garden of Gethsemane. So here's a picture from the olive groves. So these are the trees that would have represented when Jesus was entering the garden. This is what it means, kind of the garden setting would have looked like that. Um, those are very old olive trees. Olive trees live thousands of years old. And so the Catholic church built, this is the church that's built right beside the Garden of Gethsemane. Archaeologists are pretty confident this is the garden area. Maybe those very trees Jesus would have strolled through. And then the Catholic church built a the, garden, the church of the Garden of Gethsemane right over the slab of rock I'll come to in a minute. So there's the church. I went out front, took a picture of it across the street there. Here's the altar area inside the church. It's still an active cathedral today. So they do mass so many hours a day in there. So you stand in line and you're waiting to get to the altar area because in the altar area, here's what's the base of the altar. Here's what they built the altar upon. There's this massive slab of rock. And so what you do is you stand in line to get to the slab of rock because this is the slab of rock that they believe Jesus would have fallen upon. And this is what it says here in verse 39. Here's what it says in verse 39. It says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. So they're pretty confident this is the place where Jesus fell with his face to the ground and he prayed this, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will but as you will. So if you can put that picture back up, Dave, of on the slab of the rock, the setting for me right there was, I was struck by so many things, the size of the slab of the rock, and then you wait in line, and when you get to the place where you can actually then come, and then you can kneel at the slab, and when you look up across, there are people kneeling, and I was struck by the, 
There was no other person speaking English at that point. I was the only one. All the other nations of the world seemed to have gathered around this rock. And I was kneeling like this and was just overcome with emotion, trying to reflect on what Jesus was entering into with the Gethsemane and just thinking about that line, not my will, but yours be done. And, and I was hearing the languages of the nations just kind of crying out, praying out, calling out to God. I thought, Lord, this is the closest thing I have to the stadium in heaven, I think. Like as an English-speaking American being far in the minority and then seeing literally the people of Jesus coming from all corners of the globe to this physical rock to remember this scene right here. A scene here, this church, where Jesus was grieving. He was coming to grips with a loss, with an ending, and he's having to adjust to a whole new phase of his ministry, and he felt the weight of it. And so if you don't hear anything else this morning, perhaps this morning's posture for some of you in the 40 days of the Paschal Mystery, I think some of you may be right there at the Rock of Gethsemane. And the posture God's calling you to is simply just to relinquish and surrender and to fall with Jesus, your face to the ground, and just to fall with him and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. So I want you to notice now four, kind of four steps, if you will, of Jesus grieving here, kind of four things that he did in the garden. The first thing is I want you to notice is that he slowed down. So the, here's what happens in grief when we experience deep loss in our life. Our external world is changing. Some of you have lost a loved one, and your internal world has to catch up to your external so the process of grief is you have to slow down and let your inside catch up with the outside. Does that make sense? So sometimes the often loss, endings, deaths, those things are thrust upon us and they come quickly. And it takes a while for your inside world to catch up with what's going on externally. And so that's why I think this first step with Jesus, it's amazing with Jesus that you never notice him through the Gospels. He's never like slowing, or he's never like rushing anywhere. You think if anyone would have been appropriate like to rush to a healing or to rush to an exorcism or to rush to a resurrection, Jesus was a rushing. If you look all through the Gospels, he's walking. That's why I love the title of the book, Three Mile an Hour God. They say that's the pace in which we walk. It's like you, you, know, you slow down to catch up with God. And so three mile an hour Jesus here, he slowed down. And when we hit places where we're experiencing grief and loss, I get it. We want to get over it. We, wanna, we have this tendency to want to rush through it because it's hard. It's hard to deal with all the emotional trauma that's coming up when we slow down. But if we don't follow Jesus' rhythm here, if we try to skip over, we just prolong kind of the weightiness of it all in there. Those of you who have experienced deep trauma, you're never going to fully get over the loss, but it, more like a healed scar, there'll always be the memory, but the emotional rawness may not be as intense, and I think slowing down is a part of it. Think of it like a jar of river water that's shaken up and stirred, right? You go down to the White River, scoop up a jar from the White River, which is an ironic name for that river. There's nothing white about the White River. It's the Brown River, and you shake it up, and it's just completely chocolate brown, and you let it sit 
20, 30 minutes, and it becomes much clearer as the sediment settles. That's what happens with grief. And I think you'd agree with me, right? Somewhere around mid-March, we were all thrust into a quarantine where at a baseline, we've all had to slow down. At least dial down the pace and the noise of things, certainly the activity. And what's happened is some stuff, hear this now, for some of you, some stuff has started to rise up as you slow down. Which moves us to our next point with Jesus. As you slow down, notice what Jesus did. He was honest with his emotional pain. Do you see that? Verse 37 and 8, sorrowful and troubled. Verse 38, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And it doesn't mean you're there. It doesn't mean everybody has that level of grief and loss. But at some point in our lives, we're all going to get to that point. And some of you, that's where you're at today. For others of you, it's to come. But the point is, Jesus was in touch with his emotional pain. And I wrote in your notes, there's a five-stage grief process, probably the most well-known uh, grief recovery research is done by a psychiatrist named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She's a Swiss psychiatrist. And if you uh, studied, studied all in psychology, you studied the Kubler-Ross stages of grief. And here they are. I put them in your notes because I think this is a helpful grid for what does it mean to get in touch with your emotional pain? It means you begin to understand these stages. There's this denial stage. The denial stage is like, what's the big deal? Yeah, it's all going to be fine. You know, it's a defense, denial is like a defense mechanism that like gives you time to adjust to everything that's happening around you. And think back to mid-March. There's a lot of thoughts in mid-March where some, some response is, ah, it's not that big a deal. It's all going to be fine. And here we are early May. Maybe not so. It's, it, there's some stages in this, right? And then we hit this anger stage, which the anger stage goes like this. This can't be happening. It's somebody's fault. You're trying to blame shift everything. It's your spouse's fault. It's your boss's fault. It's the government's fault. It's somebody's fault. And I like what Brene Brown said about anger. She said, anger is discharging pain. Man, there's been a lot of discharging of pain going on over the last eight weeks. And some people around you closest to you are kind of on the receiving end of it. And that the discharging of pain is really kind of fueling that anger. It's a stage of the grief process. So there's this denial stage, there's this anger stage, and then there's this bargaining stage. The bargaining stage is when you dwell on the if-onlys and the what-abouts. You're like, oh, if only I would have this, or, or what about if we would have done this, if we could have avoided whatever that is. Think about all the bargaining that's gone on over the last eight weeks from all the you know, leaders in our land coming together, trying to put their heads together. They're moving through some stages of grief, and the bargaining stage is always like second-guessing and if-onlys and what-abouts. That's a part of trying to come to grips with loss and a new reality. And then you get to a point where depression settles in. Our language today might be quarantine wall. We just get sad and weary. Your physical body begins to feel the effects of the grief particularly two ways, that your appetite, so some of you lose your appetite strongly when you hit this stage of grief recovery. You just, you don't want to eat, you don't want any food. Others of you want way too much food. You like go to the cupboard for a source of comfort. So the appetite is really affected in stages of grief and loss. And then there's just an overall mental fatigue that begins to settle in on your whole body. You simply want to sleep all the time. That's a weariness. And Kubler-Ross would say it's a stage of grief in the depression stage. And you eventually get to the place where it's acceptance. You just say, this is my new reality. I can't do anything to change the circumstantial reality. I find my actual life 
living in. Now, we'd love it if the, <laughs> would you love it if Kubler-Ross's is like a linear movement? Like some of you are like, where, are, where am I in this? And you're looking. You don't just go from like denial to acceptance. You don't just go in a linear way. You need to think of it this way. If you put all those five words on a piece of paper and then just draw lines like this all over them, that's more of what really happens. You don't go linear. You can jump from one stage to the other. You can go back and forth. It comes more in waves. It's more like ocean waves upon the shore of our heart. That's how grief comes. And boy, COVID-19, for us collectively, we've all had plenty of things, right, coming on the shore of our heart. Can you see this? And so what happens to it is there's a, there's a manifestation of kind of grieving the collective losses because whether you've been personally directly affected by some of the, the health realities in our culture or maybe tangentially with your job, your finances, your security, certainly as a church community, students and families and graduates and all that's going on this spring, there's all kinds of levels of loss and grief in all of this. And here's what happens. There's kind of an emotional and mental fatigue that comes where you get raw emotionally and it manifests as a heightened irritability. Has anybody found themselves just more irritable, more grumpy, shorter with those you love? Like, especially those who've been locked up in the four walls of your house with you? Ask them. They probably have seen it. But there's this, like there are times over the last eight weeks to say, you know, why am I just so, I just feel grumpy about this. I, I just, I'm just kind of short. I just, I, I don't have the kind of emotional patience for whatever it is. And it's those around you who experience your irritability, your less than you-ness that you are. And this is where, church, this is where we need a ton of grace with each other. So some of you are experiencing deep levels of pain and loss and kind of assessing where you are in the Kubler-Ross stages of grief. Those of, those of you who know someone in your life who's going through that, just to have a ton of grace and patience and to help, to pray, to be a good friend, to walk into that space... And when we don't respond the best to one another, I think it's the cumulative effect of this. We're getting honest with our emotional pain. The candid reality of this, spring of 2020, there's nothing super easy about simply waking up and existing in our current realities now. It's just hard, everyday life, which is ironic, by the way, in North America. We're living what a good portion of the third world lives every day and has been for decades. So it's probably a splash of cold water on the North American value of comfort and convenience where a large portion of that's been stripped away and it's thrust upon us in this. We've got to adjust to a new reality. But gang, we can't do it if we don't slow down and get honest with our emotional pain and take a good hard look with those five stages and assessing where you are and how you're moving to get to the point of acceptance. This is our new reality. And notice the third thing. So Jesus, he slowed down. He got honest with his emotional pain. And then thirdly, notice he prayed. You see that? He prayed there. He said, my father, verse 39, he fell with his face to the ground. He prayed, my father. Do you know that some of our grieving can only be done with God? Some of us are at stages in our grief where really the action item from this morning is you need some time on your knees with your head on the rock of Gethsemane saying, my father, my father. 
There's just some aspects of grief and loss and adjustment in the 40 days that only God, it's, it's a you and God journey. And we've been given the gift of some time and space this spring that I think is, is perfect ingredients to slow down, get in touch with our emotional pain, and then hit our knees and fall on our face. And simply this, my father, my father. And you get to the point of the Gethsemane prayer, which is not my will, but yours be done. I mean, nobody would have scripted out these last eight weeks that we've been living. But this is a, okay, God, you're clearly up to something. I'm not saying God caused it, but God uses it clearly. You say, God, I don't know what you're up to, but I surrender. And the Psalms have been the most helpful for me in this space. I put a few in your notes there for you. There's some light, the Psalms, they say, are like the vocabulary of the array of human emotion. That's why when you're in a really tough place, you go to the Psalms and you find that they put words to what you're experiencing in here. That's the Psalms. They say things like this. I put it in your notes. Psalm 5 says, O Lord, consider my sighing. Anybody been doing a lot of sighing these days? Just sighing. Just, Man, I found myself recently going on walks outside, and all I could do was I just took deep breaths, and I just like, and look at the sky when it's occasionally blue in Indiana, like the beautiful day yesterday. Look at the trees turning, hear the birds singing, feel the breeze. Lord, consider my sighing. Or Psalm 13 says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How about the honesty of that psalm? How many of us have said, how long, O Lord? How long is all this going to go, O Lord? Psalm 42.5 is another great one. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Oh, Psalm 42 is a great psalm for fighting for hope. And then Psalm 88. If you've lost a loved one recently... Psalm 88 is your psalm. It's not the easiest psalm to read. Here's the last line of the psalm. (laughs) You've taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Amen. (laughs) That's honesty with emotional pain. That's praying in your Gethsemane space right there. And so I I put in your notes five psalms that I want to leave you. Kind of assignment for the week is, I'd love for you to spread these psalms out over the next seven days and spend some time and space praying and helping these psalms move us into adjusting to our new reality, getting in touch with some of the grief and loss that's going on inside of us. And I put them in your notes there, Psalm 23, 63, 84, 93, and 131. Examples of the prayer book of Jesus would have been the book of Psalms. The good enough for Jesus, good enough for us, Right? So allow the Psalms to be the training ground for how do I pray in the space of grief and loss. Some of our grief is only processed well with a my father. We've got to go to God with it. Like C.S. Lewis said, I love this quote of Lewis, the prayer preceding all prayers is this, may it be the real I who speaks and may it be the real thou that I speak to. And for some listening today, your step is to be honest and say, this week, it's time to get to the real I and speak to the real thou. And there's your movement into the grief and the loss and the adjusting. So Jesus slowed down. He got in touch with his emotional pain. He prayed. Fourthly and lastly, notice he wanted his friends around him. 
He took Peter, James, and John with him. He said, man, the place I'm going to, I need you to go with me to get to the place where I need to go. Man, this is what sacred companions are all about. Sacred companions are people who know you well and who know God well. Man, we all need sacred companions in life. And one of the hardest things about the quarantine dynamic is this. There's just some aspects in our journey through grief and loss and adjusting to new realities where we need sacred companions to process with, that in the midst of kind of being distant and quarantined and socially isolated from, the very people that you want to be around, and though Zoom is helpful, there's screen fatigue that comes in, and whether it's FaceTime or Zoom, it can't replace the physical presence of another human being. Do you feel me? There's just the value of physical presence that we're all longing for to help us be able to process various things that we're going through. I love what one writer, Robert Stollero, he was a psychiatrist and he wrote a lot about trauma. Listen to what he said here. I found this really helpful. He said, he's a Harvard scholar, wrote a lot about trauma. He said, trauma is where severe emotional pain cannot find a relational home in which it can be held. Now think about that. So Stollero says this, that we're all going to experience emotional pain in life, but it moves to the place of trauma when we don't find a relational home to process the emotional pain we're experiencing. And that's why I think these eight weeks and however long it goes, I think that's why it feels so traumatic in different ways to our internal world is because the very sacred companions that we love to spend time with, talk with, pray together with, We just can't physically be around them. That's this. Jesus knew there's some aspects of our grief and our loss and our adjustment that can't be processed alone, not in any healthy way. We need our Peter, James, and John with us to get through our Gethsemanes. And so, church, here we are. The Paschal Mystery of Jesus We're invited to move in, crucifixion, naming our deaths, resurrection, claiming our births, and then we come to this stage right now this morning, the 40 days, where we grieve our losses and we adjust to a new reality. Listen to what Robert Ronald Rollheiser says. I put this quote in your notes. Unless we mourn properly our hurts, our losses, life's unfairness, our shattered dreams, and all that life all, all the life that we once had, but that has now passed us by. If we don't get good at mourning that, we will, hear this, we will either live in an unhealthy fantasy or an ever-intensifying bitterness. <laughs> so hence, I'm inviting us on the seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. There's no skipping over this. This is real life. This is real formation. We're all being formed through this experience. That isn't a question. The question is, what kind? And the invitation on the Emmaus Road is to enter into the crucifixion and the resurrection and the 40 days and the ascension and the Pentecost so that we see the unexpected ways that Jesus has joined us on this journey and that we're formed and shaped in the way of Christ through this. Then when we hit these Gethsemane places in life, we learn to slow down. We get in touch with our emotional pain. We learn to pray into the Psalms. And by His grace, someday, we'll be able to gather with our sacred companions near us because we're going to need friends close by. 
And I wonder at the end of all this COVID-19 stuff, I was thinking this week about all the things that are dying and deaths and kind of naming our deaths. And, and I'm praying and hoping that culturally, could it be that in North American culture, especially over the last hundred years, can we just declare that maybe the spring of 2020 puts an end to the hyper-individualism that dominates our landscape so much? And I think all of us, we all knew human relationships were important, but I think we're coming to grips with how important they are. And so perhaps in an ending, like, let's just declare an end to hyper-individualism. There's a whole lot better way to live, and the better way to live is banded together with sacred companions. Perhaps what God's going to bring to life and birth is a, a commitment to connect interpersonally with other people in the way of Jesus. And in that, right, we get to the point where we let some things ascend, and then we receive the spirit that's in step with the life we're actually living. This is the Paschal mystery of Jesus. Let's commit this week to stay close with him. And I know this morning's message for some of you hits really personal and hits into some deep places. And if you need some help, there are outlets, right? We work with counselors. There are places for you to get help. There's places for you to get some assistance to deal with some of the waves that are going on. But we're all going to have some degree of endings. And this is about following Jesus' way into the garden and say, hey, let's, let's embrace the slowing down. Let's get in touch with our emotional pain. Let's pray into these psalms. And then by his grace, let's band together with some sacred companions. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your example. Thank you for the ways you joined Cleopas and the disciple on the Emmaus Road. Thank you for the example in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I pray for those listening right now. I know there's some listening where the tears have flowed abundantly. Some who've recently lost loved ones, some who've lost loved ones so long ago. Sometimes the journey in the 40 days, it's 40 days. Sometimes it's 40 months. Sometimes it's 40 years. But we've all got to come to grips with grieving our losses and adjusting to a new reality. So would you meet us right where we are? Would you help us in whatever stage we're in? Would you send a, a word from the Spirit that's in line, kind of a word in season that's in line with where we are? And then would you move us together through this Paschal season and open our eyes to see the ways you've joined us on this journey? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.